You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 28 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Chuck Kluball. He is an Army veteran and serves as the leader of military relations for the Home Depot. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, Frank. So first question, uh, the the first few questions I ask everyone, but uh, the answers are very different. So it'll be interesting to see what you have to say. Why did you join the service? That's actually kind of an interesting one. So uh, my undergrad when I was in college was constitutional law. And to be honest, I got tired of writing a bunch of papers. And a lot of my friends were going in the military. And I kind of said, why not? And I literally walked in the recruiting office on, I think, like April 23rd, graduated May 9th, and was in basic training uh, you know, a week later. Yeah, interesting. So you enlisted first and then later went on to become an officer? Or how did that work? So I went through a program they had called College Option back then, where you would go directly to OCS after um, graduating from college, but you did basic training on the way. So I did nine weeks of basic, and then OCS was my AIT, and then from that I went to Bullock and the you know the officer schools after that. Oh no, kidding! I'd never heard of that before. That must be a way to screen people out then, just kind of send them through basic first, make sure they get a good taste of it. I guess so. I mean, it was. I think it's one of the smaller, more commissioning sources, but it was pretty popular then. That was on the back end of the surge. So they were probably trying to bring more people in as well. So that's probably part of it. Yeah. And you get all the basics too before you get down to OCS. So you're probably a step ahead of the other candidates there, unless there are other priorities. Yeah. I mean, for OCS, we had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of NCOs that were commissioning over. So they, they pretty much ran the school for us. You know, they were the platoon guides and the squad leaders and everything else. And the rest of us were just kind of just learning the basics and everything else. And then, um, you really kind of melted into the rest of your branch, the rest of your group when you got to eyeball it, because then everybody was the same. We had West Pointers, RTC, OCS, yeah. all got mushed in together to go through that. And it really wasn't a difference afterwards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What was your job in the Army? So I was an infantry officer, um, so 11 Alpha, and I was a platoon leader um, for two platoons. And then I was an S3 and the chief operations for a battalion. Yeah, very cool. And you, you mentioned the uh, the surge in Iraq. So that was 2007, 2008, roughly. Where did you go? I assume Iraq was probably one of your... So I came in on the backside of the surge. So I came in 2009. So I think you know, I kind of rode in on the backside of that surge to go to the OCS. And then funny enough, I arrived in my first unit a week after they got back from Iraq. And then we got reclassed from your counterinsurgency style warfare to more of the conventional style warfare. So I was in a heavy brigade combat team or an armor brigade combat team back then at Fort Benning. And so I actually didn't deploy that unit for three and a half years because we did mostly tank on tank, Bradley on Bradley style um, combat. So we didn't have a mission set at that point. Huh. And you must have been the only people at Fort Benning during that period of time. Pretty much, yeah. It was pretty interesting. We For a while there, we kind of had to run a show when we got these big ranges, and we just trained a lot, but it was a lot of fun. It was also kind of interesting because when I went to the career course, you know, after that, I stayed at Fort Benning. So I spent almost five years at Fort Benning between Bullock and then Kelly Hill and then <laughs> yeah. going to the career course. And uh, 
my peers and I were the only only officers in the group that hadn't deployed for the most part. Like everybody else there had you know, sometimes multiple deployments. Right. But we we're also one of the only groups that had done conventional style warfare because a lot of our peers were doing counterinsurgency. So um, and they had just switched the career course over to more conventional style warfare. So they were going through your more traditional warfare classes. So we had a downside. We didn't we didn't have the experience a lot of them had in Afghanistan and Iraq with the counterinsurgency, but we had experience on the the doctrine side when it came to that more conventional warfare set. Mm-hmm. And so I always ask, there's a lot of good days and bad days in uniform. And I always ask people about both of those aspects. So we start with the bad days. What do you think was your worst day in uniform? Oh, I think the worst day for any leader in uniform is the day you lose a soldier, whether it's overseas or at home. And unfortunately we had that happen a couple times. We had, we even lost a leader in one of my platoons one day. And that was, that was hands down my worst day, having to call and talk to a family, having to explain to your soldiers, especially your younger, newer soldiers, that one of their leaders was not coming back. And you know, it doesn't register because you don't you don't expect right. that to happen in garrison in particular. And so that was that was hands down the worst days. Anytime you had had to deal with that. Yeah. Life changing experience that, uh, that you can really mm-hmm. only get in the military. What was your best day? Well, there's actually quite a few good days, too. I can't. Oh, man, they all kind of blend together. Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a lot of really good days. Um, I'm trying to think of one in particular. Um, it was not the day I got out. Like I know some people say that, you know, the day they grabbed their DD-214 and head towards the door. I don't know. I would say there was a couple days, like especially in my second platoon, where like we had been together for almost a year. I had a phenomenal set of NCOs that we had been together for a full year. And so we, all, we were always kind of clicking. And those are a few times where we just had a few ops or a few, you know, missions that everything just seemed to go right. Like we were just, it was just natural. And, and those are good. You just come off a rush from that, right? Those are the days you're like, this is why we spend all our time busting our butts to get ready for this. And so I wouldn't say it's a particular day, but we had a few of those days and it was just, it was just great. You know, everything, everything just worked out. Yeah. That so. collective training, it's all coming together. Um, that's great. What, what do you think when you reflect back, you've been out of service for a little bit. We're going to get into the transition in just a second, but just kind of looking back, what do you think the service taught you? Realistically, I'd say the service is where I really grew up. And I think a lot of people kind of have that, like, you know, I live by myself in college. I, you know, I paid a rent. I, I did all that. So I even took care of my grandfather while um, he was going through health issues when I was in school, but I, I really kind of grew up and came into who I was in the military. I think the responsibility, the chance to fail, like to really fail and then the chance to learn from it really kind of shapes you. And then, I mean, then you get that transit, all the other intangibles, like how to work hard, how to have perspective on different things, how to understand how a team is supposed to function, not what they tell you how, but how it's supposed to function, the the building mutual trust and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I, and then the, um, I'd say one thing that's also been kind of very instrumental in success is that sense of urgency or just not accepting the status quo as the way that it is. It's kind of funny. People think the military is all about just accepting what happens to you, but no, we were always striving to be better. We always thought outside the box. We couldn't fail in the military. So when we ran into an obstacle, we couldn't just say, Oh, here's an obstacle. We're just going to stop. No, we had right. to, as well as say, breach or bypass, right? Like you got to find a way to win. And I think that's a big thing. Like find a way to win. Yeah. And that's a great point. I can think of a few instances when 
I went to work in the business world in a large organization and trying to get a project to push through or to try some new initiative. And some of the old timers there might say, oh, no, you can't do that. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, why? Why can't we do that? And to me, that was like one of the things that the Army always did is that, why? Why can't that be done? There's always a way to get something done, find something around it. So how many how many years did you have in? And then like talk to us a little bit about why and how you left the service. So um, I did seven years, almost down to like the day. So I joined in May 2009 and got out in May 2016. Why I left the service, I met a girl. Let's be honest here. I met a girl in Clarksville, Tennessee. She was from Ohio. She had just moved down there. She was a teacher. She is now my wife. So I'd say, you know, I did pretty well on that one. In my personal you know, experience, I just didn't want the military kind of family lifestyle. I got a lot of good friends and stuff that make it work, but it just wasn't for me. So I said, okay, it's time yeah. to get out. And also, and a little bit more of a flip, I was tired of doing DD2 or DD31s just to go travel down to Atlanta to go to a football game. So, you know, I was ready to give it more freedom for my life as well. But yeah, I, I literally met a girl. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. And you certainly you got to go in that box if you're uh, if you're still married to her. What was your plan? What was your transition plan? And then how did it go? <laughs> how did it go? I thought I had a plan. So about a year and a half before I thought about getting out of the military about four years in, didn't have a very good experience with a military leader. And so I was like, okay, it's time to go. But then we got a new leader came in and he kind of motivated me to stick around because I had a phenomenal leader come in. I was like, all right, this guy's awesome. I will keep working with this organization. But during that, uh, he had encouraged us to go out and start going to school. So I actually went back, started working on my MBA while I was, I think I just promoted to captain. So I was, um, so it was about four years in. And so I started working on MBA through UNC. They have a really good online program. And I was doing that to kind of posture myself if I did decide to get out. Because I was never one of those who was, I'm doing one contract and getting out. I was never one of those that said, I'm going to go until I retire. I'm just going to do this until I decide to do something else kind of deal. So I, I got back to school. And UNC is a really good school. I was getting an MBA in supply chain and sustainability, mostly because like, okay, those are two areas that are going to be around for a little bit. Like it was mm -hmm. a very altruistic choice. And then when it was time to get out, I went through the ACAP program and everything else. Thought I had a plan. You know, I was like, okay, cool. I got an MBA now, seven years, great experience. I'm going to go move back home to Georgia, head up to the Atlanta area. Where there's a, a booming job market and everything else and, and see how it works out. And then I spent four months sitting on my couch, sending out applications to everybody and anybody and not hearing a word back. I did get lucky where somebody did tell me about like the American Corporate Partners Program where they give yep. you a mentor getting out. But I didn't really know about any of the other programs out there that now I now I work with like SkillBridge and Hiring Heroes and all those other ones. They just weren't really available. And nothing against my last unit because I love them to death. But I was also in the field until like the week before I got out. Like I was literally out there running a talk for them on a battalion and certification exercise about a week before I got out. So um didn't even have any TA-50 left anymore at that point. I was actually out there in civilian clothes. It was very odd. But uh, we were uh, you know, going through that one. But like I said, I spent all my terminal leave and a month of unemployment just sitting on my couch applying to jobs and never hearing anything back from any of them. I did eventually get a job at my um, at like my top choice, um, Home Depot and another company were tied for number one as my top choice. So I did end up going there. So I'll give myself a, a B minus in that regard. I got where I wanted to go, but it was definitely not the route and the path that I planned on getting there. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I got two questions. One, I just want to back up a little bit because you got your MBA and you got it on active duty. How did that work out? Where did you go? You went to UNC, right? Yeah, I went to UNC. Keenan Flagner Business School, which is the UNC Business School, has an online program and it's really good. And the reason I picked it um, is I literally went online and Googled like best online MBAs and started working my way backwards. And they were actually number one time. And I believe they still are or they're pretty high up there. And I would do classes at night after I got off and they had, so had in-person classes and it's in-person quotation marks online through webcam two nights a week. And then I would have about six, to eight hours of pre-recorded lectures and stuff that I would work on. And then you do teamwork and group work with other students throughout the class as you had different projects and stuff. And the great thing about it was I actually got lucky. I had a bunch of former veterans inside the program and a few other active veterans I definitely did a few classes sitting on the hood of a Humvee, like out at a mortar firing point um, at Fort Benning on a Wi-Fi hotspot. I actually got the award for my class of having the most interesting backgrounds because of that. I finished my last term in Afghanistan. I was in Kandahar, so I I did actually finish my last term in Afghanistan. My second to last term, I was submitting all my papers. I used the eight-hour flight over to Europe and then the following flights into Kuwait. And then in Afghanistan to write all my papers for my second to last term. So the professors were extremely accommodating. Like when I told them I was deploying, they were like, hey, we can put you on like an incomplete and you can come back when you're done. Or you can even turn in your assignments early, which is what I opted to do. So I actually turned in my assignments a few weeks early. And that let me focus on you know the, the whole deployment aspect, getting started. And then a few weeks later, when I was ready, I came back to them and said, hey, I'm ready to go. And they said, well, the next term starts in three weeks. We'll put you into that one. And then I would get up really early. I'd get up at like, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. local time over there to, to do classes. And then, or if I was working night ops, I could be kind of listening to classes while I was in the talk or something, as long as nothing was going on. And I finished it up there. But it was a really good program. And I'm really glad I did it. I think it helped set me up for success in a couple different ways. Yeah, that's cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you got that, you get that MBA, you come home, you met a girl, you decide to get out and you're, uh, you think you've got a, a business degree of some nature, but you're sitting on your couch firing off resumes and not hearing a whole lot back. How many resumes do you think you shot out or how many applications did you submit? I submitted over 400 applications over those months and 40 alone were to Home Depot because I can go in our system now and look at it. And I submitted 40 applications to Home Depot or something like that at, at that time. And I didn't hear back from any of those that I submitted. Zero <laughs> percent. That's a yeah. That's quite a shot group there. Tell us about the lucky break. So you kind of had a lucky break, and it was almost a little bit of an epiphany for you. You got your foot in the door at Home Depot. Yeah. So, um, and you're right. It is an epiphany. So now, when I do speak to veterans in official capacities, I always bring this up. I was literally sitting in a taco mac in Midtown Atlanta with my best friend. I think we'd gone to some sporting event or we'd gone to something. I was crashing on his couch as I was running around trying to gain connections in the Atlanta market. And his wife was there with us and they're like, hey, how's the job hunt going? I was like, not very well. He was, don't you want to work at Home Depot? I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, well, my sorority sister works at Home Depot. Um, she got a job there after college. Would you want me to send her your resume? Right there at the table, you know, Google Drive was on my phone. I said, absolutely. And I sent her my resume. Not even kidding you. Two days later, I get a phone call from a hiring manager saying, hey, read your resume. Want to know if my recruiter can set up some time for you to come in and do an interview. And I was like, sure. I mean, I wasn't going to say no. Not at all, right? Not after 400 applications. <laughs> not at all. Like I said, I played way too much Dragon's Age and sat there on my couch, like just literally just like hitting the send button on resumes and it was not working. And then um, I went in, did interview. Seven days later, had a job offer. 
I was starting a job the next week. In fact, my boss was like, called me and said, hey, can you start in two weeks? I was like, I can start tomorrow. Like, how's it? What's the earliest you can do? She's like, well, next Monday. I was like, all right, I'll be there. Like, I will be there. I'm super excited. And the best thing was it was project management and supply chain. So it was an area that I was very interested in. It was a great job and it was a great way for me to get in the company. But she literally had somebody hand her my resume and she wasn't a military veteran. She wasn't very familiar with the military. I joke around. I think she looked at like three bullets on my resume, saw it. And then and it was a job that only had like three months in the military. It was when I got, when I became the, I was the brigade S4 for a few months, which everybody in the military knows what that means. That means yeah. the real brigade S4 was gone. And they shoved the new <laughs> guy right. over there to go That's take right. care of it for a couple of weeks. But she saw that. And she really went off the recommendation of somebody else. Said, oh, this person would probably be a good fit. And then we came in and we did the interview and it, and it worked out. And she was my boss for a year and a half. We actually still have a great relationship to this day. She's been a mentor of mine. But uh, yeah, but yeah, it was literally sitting in a Taco Mac. Like, I don't know, I was probably eating wings and working on your beer university card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, it was not what you normally think about when you get your break into a company like that. You're right. So what was the epiphany? Because now you have like a bit of advice that you give to re- um, veterans about like resumes versus what happened to you there. What's that spiel like? Yeah. So most veterans, myself included, I feel they spend about 80% of their time on the resume or on certifications trying to fluff the resume. And I'll get resumes that come across my desk. They'll have a paragraph long of certifications they've done. They're taking advantage of a lot of these free programs, which the free programs themselves are great, but they'll have a paragraph long of certifications. Or like what I had, I had a master resume that was probably near eight pages long. What I would do is every single job that I was applying for, I'd go in there and I'd slice down the perfect two-page resume and I'd fire it off. And I spent all that time there, but I never talked to a person. I never networked. And then what I tell everybody is you need to flip that around. Because I've never seen a resume that was so great that it overcame the networking hurdle. I've never seen a resume that was so great that when you had a bad interview, they said, oh, well, that guy had a horrible interview, but the resume is so good, I want to bring him into the next round. Right? Yeah. So like, go for the networking because now that I'm inside of a big company and, and my team helps support hiring, I just didn't realize how the game was played. Like, even a regular job, you'll get 400 applicants to a regular job. If I'm a recruiter and I'm trying to service you know, 10 to 15 other jobs, I don't have time to read 400 resumes. I mean, think about the math behind that. Even if you only spend a minute on the resume, you're consuming hours of time for one job. So what they're doing a lot of times is they're going through, they're finding a few resumes, but while they're doing it, they're having people email them that work inside the company who are giving them referrals. Right. They're probably having people who they've connected with at job fairs or through other connections they have sending them resumes as well. At least those get an eyeball. And that's really the key is how do you get a human being to actually look at that resume? Right. And that's what happened for me. The funny part is I think the job that I actually ended up joining, I didn't even apply for until after I'd already interviewed for it because they were like, oh, you, you need to you need to actually apply the job so we can push you through the process. But they'd already interviewed me for it anyway because they just looked at the resume when it finally hit a human being's hands. So, okay, we'll talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. So you got to have somebody on the inside to pass along a resume to get you to the the top of the list of those 400 resumes that are coming in. Do you, do you have any tips for folks? How can they get networking? If you've been in someone like you or, you know, any of your soldiers that you might've had, they've spent four five, eight years in service. They don't have a whole lot of experience networking in the business world. Where where do they get started with that? 
first and foremost, take advantage of every free program that's out there that's quality. So, um, like I said, we personally have a partnership with American Corporate Partners and Hiring Our Heroes. Hire Heroes USA is another one. Four Block is another one that I've heard a lot of people even that I've hired have gone through. But basically, anything that puts you into a group and then matches you with external people to talk and to network. I did have like two or three other interviews that came out of my time when I was transitioning out. I didn't get those jobs, but I did have two or three other interviews that came out, but they came out because I went to like an ACP or a Vetlanta event here in Atlanta. And they always say they'd have like panels of these leaders and they'd say, Hey, I'm going to stick around for a few minutes. If it has any questions. And then as soon as the event was over, everybody would leave, right? They'd be done. But the panelists would still sit there. And one of them was uh, Jeff Caffey from uh, Bank of America, who is it's funny because now we actually work kind of together as for benchmarking in our current roles. But I went up there and I said, hey, my name's Chuck. I had you know, my elevator pitch ready. Give me an elevator pitch. And their typical response is, hey, just give me a resume and I'll take a look at it. And they did. I, I gave them my resume and they took a look at it. And I get a phone call about a, a job opportunity that they pass on the recruiters. Because once again, somebody inside the organization handed over that resume Gave a little recommendation. It doesn't have to be even big one. It could be, yeah. Hey, I, I know this guy's from the military. I think he might be a good fit. That's really all you need them to say, right? And you, you've just broken through the first two or three major hurdles. And so, like I, said, I, I got some interviews. I didn't get the jobs. Now there were some of the earlier ones, so my interview skills are probably not as sharp as they could have been. But at least I was getting a chance. I was in the game at that point. I was in the race and trying to win. Whereas previously, I wasn't even getting to the start line. Yeah. So nowadays you got over all those hurdles. You got hired at Home Depot. It's got to be your dream job, right? Working military relations at Home Depot. Can't think I cannot of- complain. <laughs> I cannot complain at all. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. What does that mean? What does military relations at Home Depot mean? So at Home Depot, we have a team that uh, handles what we call it the business side. So we actually have two kind of aspects of the Home Depot. We have the philanthropic side, which is a side that a lot of people think about. It's our group that redoes veteran homes. They've redone 50,000 veteran homes to accommodate disabilities and everything else. Over the past few years, they have a $500 million commitment to help with veteran housing. They're the ones that do, during COVID and stuff, they provided you know financial support to veterans to help pay mortgages and rent and that stuff. That's the philanthropic side. That's another group. Our group is more on the business side. We focus on four main areas. The first one is to make Home Depot the best place to work for our veteran associates we do that by trying to make sure we have the best policies, always trying to improve our policies for our veteran associates, provide mutual support amongst our veteran population. The second one is supporting military spouses in their careers. As all of us know who've had you know, friends and family who've yeah. been in the military, been a military spouse, it's hard to maintain a career when you relocate a lot. So we try to put in programs like transfer programs, LOAs, support military family and those kind of things. The third one's actually the recruiting piece. That's what everybody thinks of initially of military yeah. relations, but it's it's really one of our four. And then our fourth one is messaging, and that's internal and external. So um, you know, May's coming up, and that's Military Appreciation Month. We have Military Spouse Appreciation Day, Memorial Day. So internally, we're going to be holding events for our associates, remembrance of our. We had associates that answered the call through the National Guard and Reserve, who you know paid the ultimate sacrifice. So we'll be honoring their memories. And all that during May, same thing with like Veterans Day. And then we do external pushes too when it comes to sharing what we do in the space, encouraging other companies to to get involved. So that's the that's the fourth one, which is messaging. So those are the our four main pillars. Yeah, no, that's um that sounds that sounds like a lot. It sounds awesome too. I mean, a uh 
the the interaction I've had with Home Depot is a little more than being a consumer and walking into the store. But I love the fact that they have you know signs out with dedicated spots to people with veteran plates. I, th- I just think that's awesome. When you think about where you are now, you've been out of the service for how long? You've been out. Uh, it's about to be five years. Five, yeah. yeah five, so you've been out for five years. You're in the business side. What do you think the service taught you that's been applicable? What have you put to What have you put to work at the Home Depot? Well, from a apples to apples skills piece, running a military operation and planning a military operation or even military training is no different than project management. They're just different words. So from like my first job perspective, it was really easy. And we were using project management terms. We call it a Gantt chart. It's a sync matrix. Yeah. You know, they call it a resource alignment matrix. We call it a manpower matrix or a vehicle matrix, right? Yeah. Um, they would talk about you know, stakeholders and presentations and go a lot. Those are, those are just briefs. Those are quarter business reviews are same thing as... Um, you know, your your annual or, or you know, every six months review with your leadership about your training objectives and where you are on the R4 gen cycle and stuff like that. So there was a lot of apples to apples. It was just trying to figure out the terminology that applied there. And then same thing with my, uh, it was actually funny. My second job in the Home Depot was um, was manager of operations process for specialty selling. That's a mouthful. But what I did was I taught people how to sell appliances and kitchens. Here's the thing, the sales model that people use all the time, it's nothing different than counterinsurgency model. You have yeah. a, somebody that you want to do something, buy a product, you identify what they need, you identify you know, the, the, what's holding them back from doing it or getting it, whether it be financial, room, knowledge, anything like that. You try to overcome those needs and then you try to remove any obstacle that gets in the way of doing it. That's that's not much different than the counterinsurgency model. But now we're talking about selling a refrigerator. Yeah. I used to make a joke when I would go tell class, like, I've never worked in a store before, but if you can sell democracy, you can sell a refrigerator. Yeah. And they get a few chuckles, but uh, even that translated. And then now on the side of the military relations piece, it's like we said earlier, you know, don't take no for an answer for a lot of things. Always ask the why. Don't be scared to broaden yeah. what you're doing. Um, you know, think outside the box a little bit, or at least make the box bigger, and consider what you're going to do. And I think it, it really, it really, um, it really helps. Now, there's some there's some pitfalls you have to avoid coming out of the military. Like a lot of people might not have your same drive. You can come across as a little over aggressive. So learning how to kind of tailor that and when to apply it, when not to apply it, right. I always joke around with our veterans. I tell them to smile because like what we consider like the military bearing, like the normal kind of stern face can not always be approachable. Doesn't mean that you're mean, just means, you know, some people don't want to go talk to somebody who looks intense, but you might be thinking about the problem. The whole, you know, stern face, arms crossed. Yeah. um, I'm thinking about a problem has a different connotation. It's not not exactly world. inviting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, we know that just means they're thinking about it. Like that, that's not a big deal, but some people might not, but when there's a lot of correlations there and every single day, just learning and being curious is, is something else. And I, I also think that military members, especially leaders who were the good leaders that learned and, and were involved with their, you know, with their soldiers or their reports in the military, that involvement can also help you a lot in the civilian world. It's a little different for some people. They're not used to having leaders as involved in their lives like you right. do in the military. But once you build a strong connection with people and you have that involvement, you can support them and they can support you. Because a lot of times people will do things for you more because of who you are and how you're asking 
more than you know if there's a business need driving it in all honesty a lot the the connections and the relationships matter a lot in the civilian world even though that's not something a lot of people will necessarily tell you they say it's all about the money it's all about the business the relationships matter they definitely matter I mean, I tell you, when you go back, we go back to the, you know, selling freedom. I had to chuckle because there was a, I'll never forget this guy. He was a major in civil affairs when I was in Iraq. And he used to be like, my product is freedom. I'm mm-hmm. going out there every day and selling freedom. And when you think about the aspects of coin, the counterinsurgency doctrine that we did, there really is a lot of the relationship aspects of business are involved. That you're going out meeting with somebody in a different culture, you know, mm-hmm. try, trying to, you know, learn a few words that you can identify, trying to create some common ground. Um, you have these debates, I say debates, almost philosophical conversations going back and forth about what you're trying to do. But, you know, there's life and death involved, too. Like, it's serious, right? A, a beating that goes bad can lead to a whole bunch of bombs being planted on the road somewhere. Um, but the the parallels for business are just fascinating. So I love, I love that example. We definitely had a product to sell, even though we did it in uniform. And there was an element of diplomacy, you know, that... Um, that people don't often associate with the military, but man, did we learn it, you know? And to that end, a lot of organizations talk about, you know, transformation and organizational transformation. The army pulled off the biggest organizational transformation probably in history, right? Moving from this conventional warfare model, air land battle to counterinsurgency. Like it was tremendous, right? All hands mm-hmm. on deck. And it was every service too. It wasn't just the army. I think it's a great point. I would be remiss. So I don't usually ask this question, but we've got a person that is you, you know, a professional working in military relations. So I'd love to turn that around and just some of the things that you learned from from being in that position. What advice would you have for other businesses thinking about setting up a military relations program? Oh man, for other businesses, that's a great one. Um, once again, is Find the good partners because they can really set you up. Like right now, one thing that we're currently growing is opportunities for our veterans to come in and take advantage of the skill bridge program. But when we first started, we weren't ready to completely jump into it. So we actually started with hiring our heroes USA and we started with two people. Right. And that was all we had two people for the entire year. And then it grew and then we hit 30 people. And now we're on track in the next in this next year realistically on the route we're going, we'll probably have a hundred people. And wow. the year after that is going to keep going, right? Like it's going to keep growing, but we had to start somewhere. So we started small with a good organization that kind of set us up. I'd also say that as a veteran who's in this space, don't be scared to ask other veterans because that's one thing I've noticed that even with other companies that we might even be maybe even competitors with or people who don't, or we might not have a, a strong business relationship with the moment that other veterans are involved, we help each other out. You know what I mean? So like if I make a call to somebody else, say, hey, I'm trying to figure out how you get the right people. How do you get veterans to come to your company? If I'm talking to another veteran, they're typically going to tell me, even though we know right. we might start kind of taking each other's stuff because at the end of the day, we want to help each other. I had a great conversation a week ago with a gentleman that works at USAA and we just got connected by somebody else, but we were just swapping experiences. And like I mentioned, we have um, people we work with at Bank of America serve and a few others, we're all kind of in the same bubble, but we support each other. So if you are a business and you're trying to get involved in that space, look at other veteran-friendly companies, other companies that seem to be doing something right, and just reach out to them. You'd be amazed at who's willing to talk to you and who's willing to share their, their knowledge. And the other one is, is just take the time to talk to the current veterans you have, because just like in the military, you know, some of the best solutions might come from the person that you don't expect it. 
but they typically are the person on the ground. So one thing we try to do, I mean, we're doing it right now is we literally go out and we'll poll or, or get in contact with our veterans and say, Hey, what's working? What's not? Yeah. And they'll come back. They'll tell you, right. Especially you get that 20 year veteran who's been working with you for a little bit too. They kind of got that, that still got that crusty, uh, that yeah. crusty kind of veteran vibe going for them. They'll tell you, they'll tell you if your benefits aren't good. They'll tell you if the processes or programs you have aren't good, they'll tell you what they want, what they need. And then you can take that candid feedback and say, you know what, how can we make ourselves better and take that feedback from them? So, um, 100% engage the veterans you do have and learn from them because it doesn't matter if they're a forklift driver or if they're, you know, the CFO, they're going to have an idea and you can probably get together a really good program by just engaging them. Yeah. We had someone on from uh, America's warrior partnership a while back that helped companies set up military relations programs. Mm -hmm. And he said something like that. He's like, if you got to get started, pick your veterans because they'll take a program like this and run with it and it will just grow. So we're getting towards the end here. I just want to ask, so you mentioned the skill bridge program quite a bit. So we've had a few guests bring that up. I think that's a really uh, interesting program. It's where you can basically spend the last six months or so of your active duty kind of being like an intern, but on active duty working for a business. So are there any resources that like that? We'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, for sure. But there are other resources that Home Depot offers to veteran job seekers that people should be looking for. So for job seekers, particularly with Home Depot, we have uh, our own military page. So careers.homedepot.com slash military will take you to a military jobs page where it outlines some of our um, associate stories. There's a skills translator on there that's supposed to help you find jobs that match. It's one of those that learns as you use it. So it, you know it's going to get better over time. It's actually a new one. We launched this page last year. And then we have a lot of connections that... Uh, on there that show like, you know, people's names and their stories. Cause a lot of people don't realize, you know, I have, we have one guy who was a coast guardsman um, investigator. Well, now he's an operations manager at a warehouse, or you might have somebody have a tank driver or a tanker. I always make fun of him. I call him a tanker. I'm an infantryman, so I call him a tanker. I have a guy who was a tanker who's now like in over recruiting for our services area for our region of the United States. So you have a lot of, I mean, we have infantry guys are in finance. I mean, I don't know how that happened. I'm just counting with rocks, but they did it. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, I always make those jokes. Like I'm an instrument in HR. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it, your career can take a different path, but you can kind of see that and get familiar with it. We also have, like so we have our military relations team. If you have a question specifically about Home Depot, you can always reach out to us. It's military underscore relations at homedepot.com. And then uh, you have the LinkedIn. So we, we post a lot of our stuff when it comes to SkillBridge. We post it via LinkedIn. So when you find companies or you find people involved in that space, you can get involved there. There's also some really strong groups on LinkedIn that are made specifically for SkillBridge opportunities. There's like, a, I forget the actual name of it, but it's like a SkillBridge a community of practice group. I think Dave, Dave Schatz or something like that is the guy that leads it. But he posts, he just posts jobs that are skill bridge jobs in there all the time for veterans. And then there's no one called 50 strong. We don't have a direct partnership with either one of them, but they typically pick up our jobs and drop them in their groups. But uh, those are, those are strong groups because I wish I had known about that program getting out. Um, not everybody can participate in it, but it is a phenomenal program. We've had literally anybody you can imagine coming into that program and we have opportunities in cybersecurity, supply chain, services, stores, HR, town acquisition. Like the beauty of the SkillBridge program is the sky's kind of the limit. If a company can, 
you know, arrange for somebody to come in and work it, you can get a skill bridge started with mm-hmm. it. And it's super handy and beneficial. And both sides win. Our big one is the home de- or careers.homedepot.com slash military. And then we have another site. You can Google it. It's called Built from Scratch. That's also the name of the book, the one of our, our founders wrote. But uh, there's a, a page called Built from Scratch that also highlights a lot of the things that happen on the community side. So these veteran builds, things that we're doing in that space are giving back our natural disaster response. Another really big one that a lot of our veterans are involved in. You can see all that on there too. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll um, we'll put some links to that in the show notes on the bootsaboutbusiness.com uh, site for if you're driving and listening to this and can't write it all down, just take a look and uh, we'll list those out for you. So last question, if someone listening has a question for you, uh, where can people find you online? LinkedIn is probably the best route. And so uh, you can just find me on LinkedIn. Last name's Clueball. There's really not a lot of us out there. So, you know, if you put my name in there and uh, in Home Depot, I will definitely pop up. And as a small note on LinkedIn, just something else, kind of some advice to give people when, because I know a lot of people get involved in LinkedIn. When you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, reach out with a bit of a purpose. Like if I get a message that says, hey, Chuck, my name's so-and-so, I want to connect. Okay. You know, like, yeah. sure. And that's it. That's all you get. Whereas you reach out and say, you know, hey, Chuck, I'm another Army veteran or I'm a veteran. I'm looking to move to Atlanta or I'm looking to learn more about Home Depot. I'm looking to learn more about how Home Depot is involved in the community. Now we can have a conversation, right? Yeah. So if you walk you walk in the grocery store and you, go, you say, hey, all you get is a hey back, right? Whereas if you stop somebody and ask them a question about something in their car or something that they're wearing or the car they're driving, you'll get an actual right. conversation going. Right. I think so. LinkedIn even gives you a little prompt. It says when you go to connect with someone, it says, do you want to add a note? Adding a note and she increases the chances someone will connect with you. Highly recommend putting a note in there. Um, yeah. I get connection requests all day long. And a lot of times it's just salespeople that want to come back around and sell something. And I, yeah. I don't accept them, but if someone puts a note in there, I always take a look. And if it's a veteran, that has a note. I definitely will connect. So that makes a lot of sense. I also, you know, Chuck, want to give you a compliment because it's a good model, I think, for other veterans to follow. But your LinkedIn profile and the way that you have described like project management and so forth from your military career, your military skills. Like when you get to the section of your LinkedIn profile that lists what you did in the Army, you don't say platoon leader. You don't say, you know, Army captain. You say project manager. And I think the way that you have listed that is a great example for people to see. So we'll make sure that we put a link to that in the show notes too. People will take a look. I think it, I might copy it for my own. I just think that it's very interesting um, and you did a good job with it. So that's bringing it to the close. Chuck, just want to say, hey, thanks for your service. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your experience. And also, you know, thanks to you and all the, and Home Depot for all that you do and helping connect veterans and business. Oh, I mean, it's our pleasure. Like I said, we're, we're a military-friendly company. Our team is made up of veterans. So really, we're helping our brothers and sisters that, you know, that we're still connected to. So we really enjoy it. And I also appreciate you, you know, just having me on to talk about this. I mean, this is literally what we talk about over beers on weekends. So, like, this is an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.